All right, I'm not used to this. We got a squeeze. We got a full stage today, so I got to squeeze up here. I just want to give a shout out to the people sitting in the front row. Because I saw the rest of you. I saw the rest of you squeezing in the back because you did not want to sit in the front row. You wanted to avoid it altogether. So, props to the people sitting in the front row. Uh, in this season leading up to Easter, we have been, uh, we've been reading through the Gospel according to John, which is one of the four uh, biographies about the life of Jesus that we have in the Bible. And then during that season, uh, specifically the last two months, we have been in this series that we've called We Were Seeds. I don't know if you saw the worship wall back here. Those of you who have been around for a while, we transformed the worship wall over the last couple days. Uh, th this, this series was specifically with the tagline, how to grow goodness when life goes to blank, and allowing you to fill in blank with whatever word you think fits <laughs> with that. The, the idea was that, and is that, um, life is messy. The world is messy. We are often messy, too. And yet, we ourselves don't have to take that on as an identity for ourselves. We ourselves don't have to be seen as messes that are uh, irredeemable. But maybe, perhaps, we are seeds that we are like, uh, we have life within us, beauty within us, and that that messiness is actually dirt and compost that's full of nutrients by which we can grow beautiful things. That's, that's what we've been talking about over the last two months and what we're kind of putting a capstone on today on this Easter Sunday. And um, each week that I'm getting up here and talking, whether it's during this series or any, any other Sunday, I, I try to present something, I try to pick up on something that is going to be unique something that you've maybe not heard before. So often I'll read one of these Bible stories and try to pick up on a theme or even an individual word, like specific word that you may have never thought about before and then kind of build what I'm going to say around that. Um, th that's a tricky thing to do on a, a weekly basis. It's an even more difficult thing to do on an Easter Sunday when y'all know the story. <laughs> Uh, even if you aren't a particularly church person, if you haven't spent a whole lot of time in the church, um, if you didn't grow up in church circles, you're familiar with the story from the original Easter Sunday, right? You, you know kind of the broad details of how this went down. And so I struggled a bit to try to figure out what is that theme, what is that unique theme that I wanted to hit on in order to make sure it didn't just fade into all these other things that you've heard before. Um, it's a little bit like Batman, there's another Batman movie. Uh, there's a lot of Batman movies. I was a big fan of the, the Christian Bale Batman movies from like 15 years ago. Those were really good. And now there's another Batman movie, and it's three hours long. Ain't nobody got time for that. Like, it's got to be unique. Maybe I'll watch it, but like, you got to sell me on it, right? Because I've seen Batman before. You have heard this story before. So what could I pick up, up on that might be a little bit unique? Um, the, the story that, that Theo and Chloe read, there's this one detail in there where John, who's actually the author of the story, is also one of the characters in the story. And you may or may not have caught it, but on this first Easter Sunday, he thinks it'd be really important to tell you that it was actually a race to the tomb and that he won. He mentions that three different times. Three different times. Way to make it all about yourself, John. So I thought, well, maybe that's something that I could pick up on. But I, I don't know about you. I've heard that sermon before, so I wasn't going to do that one. Uh, another one was that the first person to see the risen Jesus and then to go and tell other people about it 
was Mary Magdalene, one of Jesus' friends, a woman. And maybe this could be something I could pick up on, that, that some people have this conception that women can't be preachers and teachers, but they were the original preachers and teachers? I mean, come on. But maybe you've heard that before, too. So, even and especially with all these wonderful kids in the worship center with us this morning, I thought, today we're going to talk about parenting. Uh, If you have kids, or even if you don't have kids, you might know that kids can be loud and messy. Anybody know kids can be loud and messy? You don't have to have kids of your own to know that kids are loud and messy. They make messes. They drop things on the floor. They throw themselves on the floor. They color on the walls. They put 16 different things in their milk at at dinner time. Uh, My kids recently have picked up this habit of spitting, like spitting at each other, spitting in the house, spitting on the ground. I have no idea where they picked this up. They're just kids. This is what kids do. You might not know this, but adults don't like the loudness or the messiness. How many of you adults don't like the loudness or the messiness? Some of you do. Okay. And, and so there's been this whole industry that has kind of come together around trying to control the loudness and the messiness and to create some order and consistency and cleanliness. And it is the idea of parenting. Um, parenting, we, you kind of take it uh, for... Uh, you kind of... Uh, Assume that parenting is a normal thing. That word, parenting, that concept of parenting. But the verb parenting is actually a pretty new concept. Uh, Only within the last couple decades has parenting as a concept and as a verb become a thing. Parenting is this idea that is if you uh, read enough books, if you listen to the right podcasts, if you do the right things, if you say the right words to your kids, uh, then they will turn out like you hope they will. If you do this, then you will get this outcome. This isn't to be a parent. This is specifically the idea of parenting as a verb and a concept. Uh, Alison Gopnik, who is a philosopher and child psychologist, uh, describes this as uh, the idea of a, a carpenter parenting. How many of you are carpenters? I know Warren's a carpenter. Anybody else a carpenter or woodworker? So Warren, I know you quite well. Warren, you're, you're not just going to, like, throw something together. You're going to think about, this is, this is the outcome that I want. This is the piece of furniture, maybe, that I want as a carpenter. You're going to put the work into developing the plan for it. You're going to choose the right materials. You're going to figure out the tools that you're going to need. You might have a blueprint, either in your mind or, or actually laid out and, and written out. And you're going to use those right tools. You're going to use those, those right materials. You're going to measure twice and cut once. And at the end, you are going to have this final perfect or near-perfect product. That is the goal of being a carpenter. In contrast to that, there is being a gardener. How many of you are gardeners? Okay. So in gardening, you, you probably have a bit of a plan. You, you kind of think you know what maybe the outcome might, uh, what outcome you might want, right? So you go out and you buy the plants or you buy the seeds, you get the soil ready. But what you're doing is like you're creating the context, you're nurturing the opportunity for growth, you're, you're watering, you're feeding, 
but you don't actually know what's going to come up. And part of the excitement of gardening is that you are going to be surprised. And so Alison Gopnik, this philosopher and child psychologist, says that in, in being a parent, not in parenting, in being a parent, you should try to be a gardener and not a carpenter. What we should be doing is we should be nurturing our, our, our kids, whether we are ourselves parents or whether we are grandparents or whether we are just a caring community of people so that we can nurture them and grow them into the people that they are uh, meant to be, not crafting them to be a project. So this is what she says in her book, uh, which is called The Carpenter and the Gardener. Love doesn't have goals or benchmarks or blueprints, but it does have a purpose. The purpose is not to change the people we love, but to give them what they need to thrive. Love's purpose is not to shape our beloved's destiny, but to help them shape their own. It isn't to show them the way, but to help them find a plan for themselves, even if that path they take isn't the one we would choose ourselves, or even one we would choose for them. It may sound melodramatic to say that I would give my life for my children, but of course, that's exactly what every parent does all the time. In ways both large and small, once I commit myself to a child, I'm literally not the same person I was before. My ego has expanded to include another person, even though, especially though, that person is utterly hopeless and unable to reciprocate. And even though, and especially though, that person's desires and goals may be very different from mine. Be a gardener, not a carpenter. Let's flash back to that very first Easter morning. Uh, Mary Magdalene, one of Jesus' uh, closest friends, is at the tomb. And the tomb is where? It's in a garden. Garden is a very important thing in the Bible. The garden, a garden, is a place where God is up to something. God is up to something new and creative and even messy. And so on this first Easter morning, Mary Magdalene finds herself at the tomb in a garden. And uh, John and Peter, who raced their way there, found the empty tomb. They have now raced back to tell the other followers of Jesus what has happened. And now Mary Magdalene is all there by herself, and she starts crying. Uh, Mary had hung by Jesus' side while he had died, and everybody else had run away. She had cared for his body after he was taken off the cross. She was taking care of him uh, while he was in the tomb. And now that's empty. Now she can't even do that. But then she turns to the tomb, and there's two figures in there who, who we're told are angels. She's surprised by that. Then she turns around from the tomb and looks behind her, and she's face to face with Jesus. And she does not recognize him. Because she thinks he is what? Anybody remember? The gardener. She looks at Jesus and she thinks that he is the gardener. She is not confused about who he is because he's alive and Jesus had been dead. She is confused at who he is because he's appearing like a gardener. And God is not like a gardener. Unless God is like a gardener. In the other biographies about the life of Jesus, uh, Jesus is described as a carpenter. This is his profession before he goes out and starts teaching. 
John does not describe him as a carpenter ever. In this moment even, Mary, as she confuses him for a gardener, Jesus doesn't actually correct her. He doesn't say, no, I'm not a gardener. And in fact, what he does is he immediately acts like a gardener, giving her what she needs, nurturing something within her in that moment. First he says, woman, why are you weeping? And then he calls her by her name, which is exactly what she needs in that moment, acting like a gardener. So maybe God is like a gardener. And maybe we are seeds. And maybe, even when life turns to blank, we can grow goodness. Now, I, I don't know necessarily how that fits with you this morning, but I can tell you this, if the best way to parent is to be a gardener, why would we expect anything different from God? Why would we expect anything different from God than to be a gardener? There are some people and some traditions that would say, you know what, uh, God is a carpenter, and we have this blueprint, and this blueprint is either the Bible or it is church tradition, and if we follow this blueprint to a T, if we follow all the instructions, if we use all the right materials, then we will come to this outcome, this, this perfect outcome. Problem is that built into those blueprints is the idea that you're going to fail. And so, from the get-go, from the outset, if God is a carpenter and this is the blueprint, then inherent in that, in that metaphor is that we're going to be a failed product. But if, God is a car or, but if God is a gardener, then we don't have to have it all figured out. We don't have to have ourselves all put together. We don't have to know it all. We don't have to be perfect. We don't have to be like everybody else, this perfect blueprint product. And in fact, a gardener expects that you're going to be different, expects to be surprised, and if it all turns out the same, it's like something's wrong, right? God is a gardener. This is the miracle of the resurrection begun with Jesus, right? That being buried in the messiness of the world and given a spark of new life, we are seeds that can grow goodness. So if the best way to parent is to be a gardener, and if God is a gardener, wouldn't we expect the church to be like a community garden? Well, you're lucky folks. That's exactly what we're trying to do here. Exactly what we're trying to do here as, as a church. As you walk in to worship on Easter Sunday or any Sunday, we're not going to come at you and tell you this is exactly what you need to believe about this exact specific thing. This is all you need to know. Here's the blueprint. Instead, what we're doing is we're cultivating an experience that is going to help you connect with others and connect with God in a deep and meaningful way and that we'll be surprised by the outcome of that. When our kids leave the worship uh, center on a normal Sunday morning. They don't go out there and are told exactly what to believe or, or exactly what to know or exactly what to do. They read the Bible stories together and then they ask wondering questions. I wonder about this. I wonder about this. And then they engage in imaginative play around the story. They're not being simply told what to do. They're not just following 
a blueprint. Even as we gather in grow groups, in these small group communities, the idea is not that we're going to get into a study and we're going to get everything that we need to know. No, they're primarily about nurturing relationships with one another. So if what you're looking for in, in a church is something more like a, um, a factory, carpenters come in, they've got all the best materials, they've got the blueprint, all you need to have is the blueprint, and you walk out exactly the, the same as that, that blueprint, you are the final perfect product, um, you're not going to find that here. But if you are looking for a place that feels like a community garden, where you can grow goodness in yourself and in the world, where you can nurture healing, wholeness, and beauty, where you can cultivate the common good, where you can deepen your curiosity and sense of awe, where you can uh, nurture the goodness in our kids, where you can make our community an even better place to live, then the Grove is that kind of resurrection community. You ever notice that when you start paying attention to something, you see it everywhere? Like if you get a new car, all of a sudden, that car that was very unique to you, you see it absolutely everywhere? Over the past two months, I have been experiencing that with, with seeds and dirt and manure and uh, compost. We've been talking about it weekly uh, on Sunday mornings, and now I see that theme everywhere. So last summer, my, my kids got really into frog and toad. You all familiar with frog and toad? Uh, they actually got hooked on it right out here. We had a community theater showing of A Year with Frog and Toad, the musical, and they were listening to that soundtrack this past week, and suddenly there was a song that came on. I'm like, that sounds like resurrection. And it comes from the chapter in this book, Frog and Toad, which is called The Garden. And I'm actually going to read you the whole story. It's not that long. Uh, and then we also have the pictures up here behind me, and Robin's going to do her best to follow along with me. I apologize, Robin. So this is the garden. Frog was in his garden. Toad came walking by. What a fine garden you have, Frog, he said. Yes, said Frog, it is very nice, but it was hard work. I wish I had a garden, said Toad. Here are some flower seeds. Plant them in the ground, said Frog. And soon you will have a garden. How soon, asked Toad. Quite soon, said Frog. Toad ran home. He planted the flower seeds. Now seeds, he said Toad, or said Toad. Start growing. Toad walked up and down a few times. The seeds did not start to grow. Toad put his head down close to the ground and said loudly, Now seeds start growing. Toad looked at the ground again. The seeds did not start growing. Toad put his head very close to the ground and shouted, Now seeds start growing! Frog came running up the path. What is all this noise, he asked. My seeds will not grow, said Toad. You're shouting too much, said Frog. These poor seeds are afraid to grow. My seeds are afraid to grow, asked Toad. Of course, said Frog. Leave them alone for a few days. 
Let the sun shine on them. Let the rain fall on them. Soon your seeds will start to grow. That night, Toad looked out his window. Drat, said Toad. My seeds have not started to grow. They must be afraid of the dark. Toad went out to his garden with some candles. I will read the seeds a story, said Toad. Then they will not be afraid. Toad read a long story to his seeds. All the next day, Toad sang songs to his seeds. And all the next day, he read poems to his seeds. And all the next day, Toad played music to his seeds. Toad looked at the ground. The seeds still did not start to grow. What shall I do, cried Toad. These must be the most frightened seeds in the whole world. Then Toad felt very tired, and he fell asleep. Toad! Toad! Wake up, said Frog. Look at your garden. Toad looked at his garden. Little green plants were coming up out of the ground. At last, shouted Toad, my seeds have stopped being afraid to grow. And now you will have a nice garden too, said Frog. Yes, said Toad, but you were right, Frog. It was very hard work. Frog and Toad, it's just a kid's story, right? Maybe. Or maybe it's a metaphor for life. Maybe it's a metaphor for when life goes too blank. Uh, even, even Arnold LaBelle, who's the author of Frog and Toad, even, even his family realized that in his working out of this story, he, he was working out something in his own identity as a person. It's frustrating. It's tiring. But yelling at seeds, or playing music to seeds, or singing to seeds, they're not going to make them grow. It might be frustrating and tiring, but yelling at kids, or even singing to kids, or just reading to kids, that alone is not going to make them grow. And it might be frustrating. It might be tiring. But shouting at yourself, or having others shout at you, being read all of the great works in the world, it's not going to make you grow. But, if we are gardeners, we embrace God as a gardener. If we have the time and the patience and the resilience, something new and beautiful and, yeah, kind of messy might grow in us as well. May we be those type of people, and may we be that type of community. <laughs>